This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. Issuesetc.org. I'm sure you've run across one of these explanations on the internet leading up to, or perhaps even today on Valentine's Day, February the 14th, the real St. Valentine. Now, there's a lot of stuff that has been written about St. Valentine, but the actual historical record is not just thin, it's almost, almost, but not completely, non-existent. So how does the church remember third century martyr St. Valentine? Joining us to do so on this Tuesday, February the 14th, Dr. Bill Weinrich. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of the New Concordia Commentary on John chapter 7, verse 2 through 1250. Dr. Weinrich, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Good to be with you on this Valentine's Day. Why were martyrs like St. Valentine so highly regarded by early Christianity? Well, in a special way, the martyr was a manifestation of the victory of Christ over death. The very term martus or martyr was understood by the early Christians as a their death now, keep in mind, was a witness. It wasn't their verbal confession that was their witness. It was, in fact, their death. And so the death of the martyr was actually understood as a manifestation of the victory of Christ over death. These martyrs willingly went into their death, and that itself manifested that they were victors over death along with Christ. And so the martyr was seen in a special way, and depending upon the source materials that one might be looking at, the martyr could be understood as a a manifestation of Christ himself in the world, or a manifestation of the church, for example, a manifestation of truth a manifestation already of the resurrection of the dead. And so the martyr in a special way was was seen to be a, a substantiation, an actual personal event, if you will, of the truth of Christianity. And therefore, even if you have somebody like St. Valentine, who frankly we know very, very little about, Nonetheless, where you did have what seems to be a legitimate and authentic martyr, all kinds of elaborations sooner or later began to accrue to their person. So the martyr was uh, a very important aspect then of pre-Constantinian Christianity. It gave Christians hope, actually, because the resurrection of Christ from the dead was now being enacted and lived through by the martyr. So they were a crucial part, and frankly, still today, in many places in the world, are a crucial part of the reality of the church in the world. Were there more than one martyr named Valentine? Well, it's, <laughs> it's a good question. There seems to have been, 
three martyrs by the name of Valentinus who were martyred in and around February 14. Keep in mind that the name Valentinus was by no means uncommon. It was a very popular name. So it's not surprising if there were multiple persons by that name. There seems to have been a Valentinus in North Africa who was martyred in 270. Nothing more is known of this man. The two Valentini that lay in the background of St. Valentine's, if there are in fact two, we hear of a priest in Rome, we hear of a bishop in Terni, which was a city, still is a city, in Umbria, so in the middle part of Italy. Both of these men were said to have been martyred under the emperorship of Claudius II, Gothicus. Both were said to have been martyred on February 14. Both were said to have been buried in the Via Flaminia, which was the major highway between Rome and Rimini on the Adriatic coast. And so you have a lot of overlap. The only thing actually distinguishing these two figures is their places, one in Rome, one in Terni. And so it's very possible, actually, that we have two variants of the same story. So my hunch is that we have one Valentinus who was martyred under Claudius II in 269, perhaps 270. But frankly, beyond that, the historical evidence for this man is virtually non-existent. And most of the stories that have been elaborated around him have nothing to do with the historical reality of this man. We are told that Julius I, Bishop of Rome in the early 4th century, built a church or a chapel over the burial place of this martyr. That's totally credible, actually. Then, interestingly, in 496, Pope Galatius I does declare February 14 as the feast day for the martyr Valentinus. But what is interesting is what Galatius says of this martyr. He says that while he is much respected among men, his deeds are known only to God. And so that, I think, is probably evidence that Galatius was aware of a martyr named Valentinus and so wanted to, on February 14, and so gives that as his festival day, but that he knows nothing more about him because his deeds are known only to God. Really, none of the stories that we hear about Valentinus seem to have any historical basis whatsoever that there was a Valentinus martyred in 270. There's no reason to doubt that. Where do we find record of Valentine? Well, it's a good question, and it's, it's basically in, in martyrologies. As I mentioned, Galatius mentions, uh, establishes his feast day as February the 14th, that is 496, 
And frankly, as far as I'm aware, other than in certain hagiographies and martyrological listings, festival listings, I don't know what uh, third century or fourth century documentation there really is of this man. As far as I can tell, nothing more is really made. Now, he's declared a, a, a martyr. His festival is February the 14th by Galatius. That seems to have been continued on. To what extent that festival meant anything in popular piety in the early Middle Ages, I have no clue. But what takes place in the Middle Ages, and it seems to me primarily in England, is that there is a wedding between the festival day of St. Valentinus and the natural happening of birds beginning to mate around February 14th as well. And we see this connection between Valentinus and the mating of birds in Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. Myself, I doubt whether Chaucer was just making this up. Perhaps that association was already being made, and he makes it uh, in his famous Canterbury Tales. But that's pretty much it, I think, when one wishes to speak about the uh, historical background of St. Valentine's Day, is that you had a 4th century martyr, probably indeed martyred in the year 270, Within a century or so, he's on the official listing of Roman martyrs by Glazius I. And then, as often happened in the Middle Ages, elaborations of whatever kind and begin to accrue to this story. And in this case, the uh, concurrence of the mating of birds and St. Valentine kind of coincide on the middle of February. And voila, we get a St. Valentinus that is the patron saint of lovers and romance, although historically we know that he was also the patron saint of epileptics, for example, and even the patron saint in some places of beekeepers. So this is the kind of thing that happened in the Middle Ages. But the general stories uh, about Valentinus that you see on blogs and in various Facebook postings, most of that is without any historical basis as far as I can tell, and are the kinds of elaborations one finds for many, many saints and martyrs in the early and high Middle Ages. So source material, frankly, Todd, is pretty slim on this guy. What do we know of the church at Valentine's time? Well, there's no doubt this was 270. The emperor, Claudius II, surnamed Gothicus because of his famous victory over the Goths in 269, was a soldier. I don't think he had, you know, he was the successor of Gallienus, who, and there was some persecution of Christians, no doubt about that at this time. You may remember that Cyprian of Carthage was beheaded in the year 268 which is the year that Claudius II became emperor. So it was a time of persecution of the, of the Christians. Usually those persecutions were not empire-wide. They tended to be local. They tended to be largely determined by the 
sentiment and the policy of local magistrates or provincial governors. So there's no reason to think that, as far as I know, that Claudius II was especially hostile towards the Christians. He dies in the year 270 from uh, what appears to be perhaps cancer or smallpox sometimes is thought to have been. He was succeeded by Aurelian, and Aurelian was rather hostile to the church. So we're still well within a period of active persecution of the church. And the church, of course, was increasingly more visible. You had certainly public buildings now dedicated to Christian worship. So Christianity was, in fact, becoming a religious and cultural and social force in the empire. There's by 270. There's no doubt about that. Within 10 or 15 years, you would have the extension of Diocletian, who would institute perhaps the most vicious of all persecutions within the Roman Empire. So the church was still, no doubt about it, was still a persecuted and martyred church. And this figure of Valentinus plays within that role. And that's As I said earlier, there's no reason to doubt that there was a priest of Rome or perhaps a bishop of the town of Terni who was, for whatever reasons, beheaded. That's all the the stories about him indicated that he was beheaded. Some say he was also tortured with clubs beforehand. That's credible, too, I suppose. But we would see as a beheading he was a Roman citizen. And so whatever was the cause of this man's martyrdom, I don't think there's any reason to doubt that there was such a person who was martyred. Whether we know anything specific about him beyond that, I'm not so sure. Dr. Bill Weinrich is our guest, remembering 3rd century martyr St. Valentine. Do we know why the Roman Emperor Claudius II was persecuting Christians? You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. One of the most difficult decisions that a spouse has to make is the decision to put their beloved husband or wife into a long-term care facility as a result of mental illness. In the February issue of The Lutheran Witness, the Reverend Michael Casting tells the story of how he cared for his wife during her struggle with Alzheimer's and how he came to grips with this decision. To find out more, you can read his article in the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. The Faith, Once for All, Delivered to the Saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we dig further into St. Luke's Gospel with lamps burning, faithful manager, divided, repent or perish, and the barren fig tree. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. 
Listen at thewordindoors.org or your favorite podcast provider. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. We're getting a biography of 3rd century martyr St. Valentine from Dr. Bill Weinrich, Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to Issues Etc. In less than a month, we already have 200 paid registrants for the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Attendance is limited to 500. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Making the Case is your opportunity to meet and hear Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione, and Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Early bird registration fee is $140 and includes three meals. On-campus dorm options are available. Find out more at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Making the case June 16th and 17th in River Forest, Illinois. Dr. Weinrich, do we know anything about why Emperor Claudius II in particular was persecuting Christians at the time? Well, as I say, I'm not sure that he had any special policy towards this. Everything I know about this man, he was a soldier emperor. He was busy. I'm not even sure he was ever in Rome. He was only an emperor for maybe a year and a half or something like that. He was often in the what is today the Balkans, Macedonia or Greece in that area, fighting the Goths and the Gepids and other Germanic tribes. Early on in his reign, he had to put down a rebellion in the north of Italy also had to defeat there the Germanic tribe called the Alamanni. So I'm not even sure that Claudius II was ever in Rome for any period of time whatsoever. So the idea that Valentinus appeared before this Roman emperor is probably just historical nonsense. Uh, so I'm not sure that Claudius had a policy that was specifically geared against the Christians. He probably simply, almost by kind of a continuation of the policy of Gallienus, that Christians were dangerous and given circumstances could be arraigned as hostile to the emperor or to the empire. So I'm not sure that Claudius, in fact, I found no evidence that he had a special animus against them. Although perhaps he did. I mean, he, he was a traditional Roman, no doubt about that. And so, no doubt, he probably didn't dislike Christians, but whether he took any specific action against them, I've been able to find no evidence of that. Are there other legends that are associated with Valentine? It was a rather fruitful time for legend-making, especially with regard to martyrs. Well, it was, and there are, as I say, the elaborations that 
obviously, in some fashion, this man had to have some sort of elaboration to his story that brings us to the present time when we speak of Valentine's Day as a day of the interaction of lovers and romance and giving candy and cards to your wife and your husband and your girlfriend and boyfriend. So I really just don't know when this frankly happened, maybe early, maybe later. But at some point, the story was that Claudius II had Valentinus arrested. He was placed under the the supervision of a man by the name of Asterius, so the story goes, who was either magistrate, perhaps jailer. And we are told that this Asterius had a daughter who was blind and named Julia. So Asterius asks Valentinus, perhaps in mocking, to heal his daughter, which Valentinus does by way of prayer. And so we are told that Asterius then himself becomes a Christian, as does his daughter. And when learning this, so the story continues, Claudius II becomes angry and then, for this reason then, condemns Asterius as well as Valentinus to be beheaded. Usually the story goes that Asterius is himself spared from this faith, but not Valentinus. There's another story, and uh, we're also continuing that story, that while in prison, Valentinus and Julius become friends, if you will, and and that uh, Valentinus addresses her as her Valentine, maybe even having given her a note or a message uh, in roughly the shape of a heart and so forth. Well, uh, that's that's a story that maybe gives some idea about how Valentines came to exist. But there is one story that I think I want to just address, if I might, Todd, and that is the very common story that I've I've seen in the last couple of days all over Facebook, for example, and that is that Claudius II had issued an edict prohibiting soldiers from marrying, and that Valentinus, St. Valentinus, Bishop of Terni, secretly married Christian soldiers, and when this was found out, Claudius had him condemned because Claudius needed soldiers for his army. Frankly, there's absolutely no history behind this story. There was a time in which soldiers were prohibited from being married. It was enacted by Augustus Caesar, so even before the time of Jesus, actually. But that edict was rescinded by Septimius Severus, who was emperor, if I remember the dates rightly, 198 to 217, something like that. So there were roughly two centuries at the beginning of the empire where soldiers were prescribed from marrying. But after that, there seems to have been no such edict. Whether or not soldiers married or not seems probably to have been relatively rare, but not prescripted. 
and there's again no evidence that Claudius II ever made any such edict. So that story clearly is a later edition. Whenever that happened, I have no clue, but that's certainly just not part of the, the historical story. This holiday is kind of so obscured and lost to our com- commercial culture. Can Christians redeem the remembrance of the martyr Saint Valentine? Well, that's a good question. How do you respond to that question? First of all, there's no reason to say that Christians cannot fully enjoy the Valentine's Day and give candy to their wife or their girlfriend, their fiance or what have you. Share Valentine's seems to me a totally good practice, even for young people as Again, there's always issues in schoolrooms, whether anybody's left out and so forth. But but you're talking about redeeming St. Valentine. I just don't know. First of all, there's other martyrs that we know much more about, that uh, we actually have accounts, for example, of their confession. So my first response is that this, for a day like today, this is a terrible thing to say, I'm quite sure. But I'm I'm not sure what there is to redeem about St. Valentine's. What do we know about this man? Next to nothing. We have no real record about anything he said. As Glazius already noted, his deeds are known only to God. So if we want to kind of put upon this man the general hagiographical topoi that characterize martyrs, by all means, let us do so and just make him a generic martyr, and that's fine. And, of course, we can say as a Christian martyr, which there seems to be every reason to believe he was, that would have entailed some confession of Christ before a Roman magistrate or judge. It would have entailed faithfulness unto death as we see with the martyr Antipas in in Revelation 2. So as a Christian martyr, there are various things that would have just generally gone along with that fact. And so in that respect, let's speak respectfully and honorifically of St. Valentine, the Christian martyr. He confessed Christ. That seems to have been almost certainly the case. He was faithful unto death. He did not apostatize under threat of the Roman government, and finally was martyred for Jesus. We can say, I think, all of those things. But when we begin to ask after specificity, should the church kind of reclaim this man? Well, let's do so. I mean, let's use this day to at least speak about what it meant to be a Christian martyr. Dr. Bill Weinrich is professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's author of the New Concordia Commentary on John 7, verse 2 through 12, verse 50. You can purchase this new commentary by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, or on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. Weinrich, thanks. Thank you, Doug. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, talking with Pastor Peter Bender about Jesus healing a blind beggar in Luke chapter 18, and its media coverage of religion with journalist Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening.
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.